Hello once again, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Grains West podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Clovis. Grains West magazine is co-published by Alberta Barley and the Alberta Wheat Commission, and it's our goal to connect farmers, food, and ideas. And as always, if you'd like to read our exclusive online-only stories or subscribe to our monthly e-newsletter, you can visit GrainsWest.com. In today's episode, beer aficionado Don Tess explores the technology and tastes of Alberta's low and no-alcohol beer. Don is a frequently published beer writer and holds accreditation with the International Beer Judge Certification Program. And in fact, he has taken notes on flavor profiles of more than 24,000 beers. Don also co-owns and operates Far Out Exporters with his wife, Michelle, and their business partner, Jeff Orr. Far Out Exporters ships Canadian craft beer around the globe. Now I would like to introduce Don, who will discuss the production of low and no alcohol beer in the province. Over the last few years, breweries have been betting big on non-alcoholic or low alcoholic beer. The world's largest brewer, AB InBev, aims to have non-alcoholic beers represent 20% of sales by 2025. In fact, while overall beer sales have been slowly decreasing, non-alcoholic beer sales have been growing by double-digit percentages. This growth has been driven by consumers who want to live healthier lifestyles. There are even annual challenges such as Dry January and Sober October that champion sobriety. This trend is expected to continue for the next few years. Surveys have found that as many as 60% of drinkers of non-alcoholic beer do drink alcohol, but choose non-alcoholic beer for certain occasions or when they need to drive. For people who choose not to drink, Non-alcoholic beer allows them to participate in social gatherings without having to be asked why they're not drinking. As long as they're holding a beer, they fit in, allowing them to conform to social norms while adhering to their personal choices. Alberta craft breweries are getting in on the action. In part, the reason for the growing popularity of non-alcoholic beer is that it actually now tastes good. Improved brewing techniques and the availability of flavorful ingredients have substantially improved the drinkability of these beers. I talked to three Alberta breweries about why and how they're making non-alcoholic beer. Village Brewery is a well-established Alberta craft beer maker and now produces what is perhaps the province's best-known non-alcoholic product lines. Jeremy McLaughlin is the brewery's operations manager. So what made Village want to make a non-alcoholic beer? Well, I think it was an avenue that was unexplored. And, you know, when you look at uh, what craft brewing is, craft brewing is about um, tapping into that discovery and that um, exploration um, that our consumers like undergoing. And as a brewer, you know, for the creative side of it, it's like, this is a new set of challenges. Um, we had been fresh out of uh, uh, another avenue of uh, expansion when we started our cider in 2017. And it was kind of like a, what's next for us? And um we kind of got some leeway to do some re- research and development uh, heavy on the development side of uh, how, how can we make a non-alcoholic beer and can we make one that doesn't taste like garbage? So, yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, <laughs> like had that. you heard that there was demand for it before you started down this road or was it really just, this is going to be fun and cool. So let's try it. Uh, there was, there was definitely an opportunity, you know, it was seen as like a, a an avenue in the market that was going to be growing. Um, and it was growing at that point. This would have been like, we started talks, I think in 2018. Yeah. Pretty early in the year, um, before we decided to, uh, actually hit go with it. Um, so 
yeah, there, there was definitely an opportunity to, to get some products into the market kind of before uh, a lot of other breweries jumped in on this uh, trend. Right. So being a leader again, as Village usually is. So I understand that uh, Village uses a secret, unique process to make its non-alcoholic beer. Can you tell us about how most uh, a non-alcoholic beer is made and then share as much as you're willing to about your secret process? Yeah, um, we have, you know, at, at Village, we have very few secrets in the industry. We like if there's a recipe or something and a brewer that is, you know, we're friends with, we'll ask us like, Hey, how'd you do this? What was your process? Like, no problem. There are like, there's a couple of things at village that we do have some secrecy around and we're really proud of it. And it's due to the amount of work that went into it. And so how we make our non elks is definitely on that list. Um, but I can talk about, yeah, like you said, how non elks are made right now in general. Um, and kind of allude to where, where our process lies in there. So the number one way that, you know, in, if there was unlimited budget um, and uh, we had unlimited space as well, um, definitely vacuum distillation is the, is the method to, to go to. So vacuum distillation is um, a process where you brew a full beer. So let's call it a 5% pale ale or something. And you brew this, you get all the malt in there. So you have all the flavor components that are um, important for beer. And what you can do then is you put it in a vacuum distillation unit, which will, you can raise the temperature slightly um, and apply your product under a vacuum in a vacuum chamber. And that will allow you to evaporate away ethanol uh, before you start evaporating away any other flavor components uh, or water from your your product. So you end up with a beer that has a, it's you can see it on cans of products. It's called de-alcoholized beer. Okay. Um, that is like a, a very, very popular way. And it's like, a, you know, forgive me for calling it a big brewery thing because normally these units are pretty expensive um, and pretty expensive size-wise as well. Um, I don't know anyone listening who's been to Village Brewery, but our floor plan is uh, cramped. Um, and then, so like vacuum distillation is like, you know, number one. Uh, and uh, that was kind of when we were first going down the, the path of like, how do we do this? It's like, well, we can't really realistically fit a unit like this in our, in our brewery. So how can we do this otherwise? Um, you know, as an aside, I've seen a couple of units that are specific uh, and they're, they're specifically tailored towards creating two different product streams, which are, it's kind of cool. And I think this fits into like kind of what a vacuum distillation unit is, but I haven't seen uh, the, the technical specs on them, but I've seen these products advertised to me where you, you take your, your fully fermented beer, that's 5% pale ale or whatever, and you run it through this, uh, this unit and it spits out two different product streams. One is a de-alcoholized beer. So through some process, and I think it involves reverse osmosis, um, uh, you get a, a de-alcoholized beer out of that. And then you get another stream that is a clear ethanol solution. So the, the idea is with these units, you would make your non-elk beer and then you'd also create the base for doing a seltzer or some malted uh, fermented product like a seltzer.
So when we make beer, we extract, uh, well, we convert starches to sugars and extract those sugars from the grain and you get a sweet barley juice. Um, arrested fermentation for creating non-elks is uh, you start fermentation like you would any other beer, but you only ferment it for a few hours and then you stop fermentation by, uh, you know, temperature control. So you can crash the beer down to zero and zero degrees Celsius and, and, and basically stop the yeast from going any further. What you're left with is normally a, you know, a 0.5% or less alcohol range. And you're left with something that is a little bit more sweet and almost like syrupy. Um, I find you can tell right away when you're drinking one of these. Um, and it's, it's not bad. Like it works for some companies. It's just not the flavor profile that we were going for. So through trials and tribulations, we, we didn't go for a process like this. Um, it also requires some tight control, like uh, having automated sensors on your fermenters where you're, you're able to say, Hey, turn on this, this uh, glycol valve, you know, at this gravity specifically, and like really dial that in. We don't have automation our our checklist where we check fermentation it happens a couple times a day so like if you don't catch it at the right time finding it at the right exact point is a recipe for disaster right. so so another option which i've seen from some breweries out there is uh just making a very light beer so if you imagine your five percent pale ale for lack of better terms has a hundred kilograms of malt in it or something like that uh well, if that's 5% and you want to go down to 0.5%, you want to do like 10% of the, of the malt in it. So you could make a beer with 10 kilograms of malt in it at the same volume as an example. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, it definitely can yield some interesting results, but it's all about balance. Um, so having a super light beer, um, you end up with imbalance where there's not a lot of body, um, and when I say body, I'm talking about like unfermentable sugar. Um, so starches and all that, that provide some thickness and fullness to the feel as well as some like malty sweetness. You don't really get a lot of that if you just brew like a 0.5% beer. Um, you know, the example I gave was a, a hundred kilograms, but like a normal beer for us has a, a grain bill of like 400 kilograms so we'd be doing something like 40 40 40 kilograms of malt in our mash and it's like well that doesn't it's process wise it's not great so you know but but there is an, an avenue here that you can explore with something like making a very light beer where you can make some tweaks and and have some some cool outcomes uh and i know the the last method that i've heard and i've um I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, cool, exciting things happening in the world of yeast. Uh, and there are a couple of types of yeast out there right now that are being uh, targeted towards non-alcoholic producers because they under attenuate or they don't create a lot of alcohol. Um, you know, the, the fermentation of beer is an extremely complex thing. Uh, and your, your yeast has a, uh, a hierarchy of which sugars it's going to start fermenting in what order. Uh, and that is super important because if you find a yeast that doesn't ferment, say a very important type of sugar, well, it's not going to produce a lot of alcohol. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've, I've not used these ever, um, but uh, it certainly would be a cool experiment where you can 
take a, a normal beer recipe that you would make, throw this special kind of yeast in, in it, have it under attenuate or purposefully not ferment certain kinds of sugars like maltose trios or maltose. And then you're left with a beer that has a very thin uh, or a very low amount of alcohol in it. And you might have something that could fit into a, uh, non-alcoholic beer range or low-alcoholic beer range uh, with some tweaking. Another brewer that has experimented with the properties of yeast in the creation of non-alcoholic beer is Last Spike. A contract brewery, it brews beer for other businesses that don't own their own brewing equipment. Because it works with many brands, Last Spike is constantly exposed to new consumer trends and developments in brewing technology. Evan Caslander is the operations manager at Last Spike. Evan, um, I understand Last Spike, you primarily make beer for other companies. So how did it come to be that that uh, you wanted to make a non-alcoholic beer? Well, yeah, you're right. It, it basically, yes, the history of Last Spike was to start as a partner brewery. Um, since then, we have come forward with our own um, with our own brand of beer and continuing to to focus on on building that. Uh, we had uh, at the, the start fairly close to the start of last bike. We had a, f- a couple clients actually come and approach us to make non-alc for them. Um, so the first one that came in was uh, basically a client that uh, brought their approach, brought their uh, brought the recipe to us, and we tried to replicate it. Um, at the time, our process. Uh, our, like our process equipment wasn't really able to meet their, de- their, their demands, um, essentially on clarity and uh, filtration. So we, uh, we actually didn't end up pursuing that particular opportunity. But not long after that, another company came to us with the same idea, looking to do the same approach. And uh, we started producing for them and, and um, have, since then have expanded to, to do, I think it is now five recipes for them on a regular basis with a couple of seasonals. Um, and since then we've had another client come forward with a different style. So this is where we we're actually doing two different types of non-alcs with two different processes. So, so the first one and the one that we've done the most of is a, basically a stalled fermentation style. So it's a, a low grain bill, lots of water, high, try, trying to produce the, the kind of uh, enough fermentables to get fermenting, but not enough to really over ferment. So it's a really high water ratio, um, mashing in with, with high temperature and doing basically a, um, it's the same process as a normal brew, just with a, a lower grain bill and uh, targeting just a, like, let's say if a traditional beer has an extract, target of 12 Play-Doh, we're typically going in at that sub four Play-Doh just to really kind of keep the fermentables in that low range. Then we're using a traditional beer yeast um, where we've experimented with multiple yeasts and we found that just like a clean ale yeast works really well to do a quick fermentation to still gather some some of that, that fermentation quality and, and flavor uh, and and mouthfeel flavor profile mouthfeel and then as soon as we as we're as we're monitoring the fermentation we're, we're continually checking alcohol and, and ph to make sure it's doing what it should be doing once it hits a certain alcohol percentage of around that 0.4 percent then we'll just we will turn on the cooling to it and get the yeast out as quick as possible i was just going to say you know um, non-alcoholic beer wasn't you know traditionally what last spike brewed um you mentioned that you had this client who who kind of um, um 
wanted uh, wanted one made. Um, so how long? What you know? What was the process of experimentation to to you know figure out how to do this and how to do it well? When we first brought those recipes, or when those recipes were first brought in, or we first started brewing them, I was brewing. I was still on the brewing floor, and I actually brewed the first few batches of all of those recipes. Um, but I wasn't in the the conversation with our uh, brewmaster at the time and the clients. My understanding was is that they came with an idea and a bit of a targeted flavor profile of what they were looking to do. And our brewmaster developed the recipe for them uh, around just kind of color flavor specs and utilizing the uh, what, what types of yeast to use. And we just tried it. And the first batch that we did, uh, the first couple batches that we did worked, but worked a bit too well, I'd say, that it, it just, we didn't catch the fermentation at the right time. So it, 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 it fermented too much and therefore we had to dilute it with some water and, you know, then the flavor doesn't really match what it should be, should be targeting. Our ultimate goal with that style is to catch it at a point where we've had enough of a fermentation happen that we get that flavor profile and the alcohol content that we're looking for and then stop that fermentation from happening as quick as possible and get the yeast out. Brewing uh, regular beer is already a very complex process. So I imagine making non-alcoholic beer is even harder. What are some of the problems that you've that you've faced and had to had to overcome in making non-alcoholic beer? The biggest challenge we had originally was uh, just being too efficient at the fermentation. That it just we, we weren't we weren't able to kind of um, just monitor that fermentation closely enough for us to, to stall it. Um, so our first few challenges really were around the, uh, we just produced too much alcohol. And so if we were targeting a 0.5%, we, at, you know, the first couple batches, we may have hit a 0.7 or 0.8 and therefore we have to add some water back in at the end to bring that down. The, you know, still a non-alcoholic beer. It still had a lot of that, like, good flavor profile, but it wasn't that we just, we didn't want to have it seem like it was basically a... Um, watered down beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like water steeped with a little bit of grain just to get that flavor and then not have that mouthfeel. So that was one. The, the next challenge we had was just because we're not going through a full fermentation, I mean, you've done, you know enough around the brewing process that yeast isn't typically just a one and done it's a harvest and repitch and maintain yeast health is an important thing of of uh, of a brewery we while we work with multiple clients and have lots of different yeast strains around um we couldn't take some batches of yeast to go into this and we also couldn't take yeast out of this to reuse for other other non-alcoholics so yeast management was definitely um even more challenging than in a traditional beer just because we had to really time it to get the right amount in there get it out of there quickly but we couldn't reuse it so it was always a one and done so if we're doing multiple batches of that particular style of beer um then it was Okay, well, we need to make sure. The good thing is we don't need a lot of it, but we definitely needed to ensure that we had enough um, for the, if we're doing three batches. The last one was um, 
the actual yeast strains. We, like I said, we we tried. Uh, we we started off with one that worked really well as a nice clean acting yeast, but at one point we didn't end up having that available within the brewery, and we needed to get a batch in. And uh, we tried a different strain, and unfortunately, it it produced some some esters and some like just some some flavors that just did not go was just weren't appealing and didn't work very well. So we I'll be honest in saying that we have no brewery likes putting beer or not even non-alcoholic beer down the drain, <laughs> but I, I think we've done that more often with the non-alcoholics than we have with any of the alcoholic beers that we've made. So. Um, you know, as part of the regular fermentation process, um, yeast creates certain off flavors. And then uh, as fermentation slows down, the yeast actually reabsorbs some of those off flavors and kind of cleans up the beer. But you were saying that with, with your non-alcoholic beers, you actually stall fermentation. So, so do you have any issues with yeast uh, having enough time to clean up some of these off flavors? Well, that's where we learned that the the yeast that we used originally and then have used since that have determined to be the best acting one doesn't produce the off flavors that a lot of the yeasts will produce and then reabsorb. So we we've while while we've tried substituting another yeast strain that is very comparable for the one or to the one that we've that we have typically used what we found is that the off flavors that were produced at early fermentation would need that time to to clean itself up and because we don't we can't give it the the week to two weeks or more depending on the style of yeast the time to clean itself up before you would typically cold crash a beer um it just those flavors just sat there so the risk was we let it sit for a while and try to clean up those flavors and and then just the aroma and but then we would over ferment and then there'd be no body left in the beer and you'd have a higher alcohol and then you're gonna have to blend it down anyway or you cold crash it and you deal with those flavors what we've luckily found is that there is at least one strain of yeast that works very well to do a quick fermentation that does what it needs to do provides great clarity and produces the the it's very neutral flavoring so it's it, it works pretty well to actually bring forward some of the malt for the styles of beers that we're working with and um just goes goes well so it's a real balancing act yeah so I, we haven't gotten into the second style that we that we are working oh. that we just recently worked on too so i i should kind of backtrack a little bit there this We've done two batches of the, of this one so far, and it's a new, well, new to me style of yeast that is basically a non-alcoholic specific yeast. So you can come in with pretty much any fermentable type of mash bill uh, in any typical, like ba- this, this particular recipe uses a traditional, well, albeit not necessarily as high of a, um, malt content, but a, a traditional mashing program of, uh, you know, a, a certain style of rest and uh, at a certain temperature, which is typical to alcoholic beer and, you know, going through the whole normal process and you pitch the yeast in and it does not produce, um, it does not ferment the the fermentables that are typically like the maltose base that are there for alcohol production. So it will only produce the, un- it will only ferment the unfermentables, the traditional unfermentables. Oh. So typically 
you know, you're going in and you're leaving a certain amount of body in there because the unfermentables are what's left over and all the fermentables take over, they get turned into alcohol. In this case, it actually is a very inefficient yeast, but doing what it should be doing for this non-alcoholic side. What we found though, is that the first batch that we did, the client wanted to, it, it worked exactly the way it should have. It produced about a, uh, 0.5% alcohol left the body that would, that needed to be that left in the beer. We gave it, you know, 10 days for it to do its thing and it wasn't going to go any further. He came, the client came and tested it and, uh, thought it was pretty close to on point, but then wanted to dry hop it to add a little bit more flavor or sorry, add a little bit more aroma. And then as you know, with dry hopping and some hop creep, it can just introduce some new, new areas to that, to that, to, to a beer and it fermented, re-fermented down to zero and produced about a two and a half percent alcohol beer. Oh. <laughs> so the learning lesson was don't dry hop it with that yeast. Um, just because then the fermentables will then become fermentable again. And it just introduced a whole new area and it just went to town. We've since rebrewed it for the client and it turned out perfectly at 0.5% with the body that they wanted. And it uh, worked quite well. The one little caveat with that style of yeast is that it comes recommended from the manufacturer of the yeast that it has to be pasteurized, which is not a problem for last bike because we have the flash pasteurizer capabilities, but most breweries don't. Most oh, I see. craft breweries don't have that capability to pasteurize. So is this a new yeast strain that has been developed because non-alcoholic beer has, has grown in, in demand? I believe so. I, I didn't go to research it since, since it came um, onto my desk to, to look into and to, to try it. Um, I did do some digging into it. It was, it was new to me and I know that it has not been on the market available. It's, it's from one of the, the um, traditional dry yeast providers that are out there that they, they now market this as a non-alcoholic yeast um, just with that, that caveat that it has to be pasteurized just because it, you, you run the risk of secondary fermentation in cans if it gets back up to temperature. So, right. um, and when you leave that much fermentable sugar in there uh, and don't have a sterile environment to be able to, to prevent that re-fermentation, it can, there's a potential for some exploding cans. So. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of consumers expect that non-alcoholic beer should be cheaper because it doesn't have alcohol, I guess, but it usually isn't cheaper. Why is that? Uh, well, I can only speak from the, I guess this is a unique perspective because we don't, we're not the one taking it to end market to price it. Um, I can, I can, without getting too far into, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, private relationship that we have with our clients, but what we price the beers to them or the non-alcoholic beers to them. I guess my, my main answer would be because the market isn't necessarily as big as the alcoholic beer that they need to, to capture pricing and make their margins back. They're still paying the same amount for cans. They're still paying the same amount for lids, labels, trays, all that kind of stuff. But the distribution isn't as, as, easy to get it to market and to be able to sell the same amount of volume, I would assume. Um, there still also is, and I'm not sure if everyone knows about, there is still some X, like obviously every brewery pays excise taxes to 
to the federal government for alcoholic beers, but there are still excise taxes payable towards non-alcoholics as well, uh, just not nearly at the same rate. So, so it's not as high of a taxed product, but there still are some taxes that are put into there oh. that that the um, that the manufacturer does have to take into account. So, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I I thought that. If it was under 0.5%, it was considered non-alcoholic. And then that took you out of the whole alcohol regime. But but excise does still apply. It does, yeah. Yeah, there is a below um, below a certain percentage threshold. And there is still technically excise payable to it. Again, not, not nearly the same level. But when you look at it, um, the liquid going in, yes, there's less less grain. Um, but you're still, you're still paying for hops. You're still paying for... Um, you're still paying for, you know, water. There's still, there's still the same type of labor that goes into a traditional beer goes into a non-alcoholic beer. A lot of the non-alcoholic beers that are on market that aren't made under these processes that go with the macros or you like, or the big, the big players that have the, the big dealkalization skids have made significant investments into those dealkalizers to be able to to produce that type of beer and they obviously need to have return on that so therefore the, the prices tend to be a little higher right located in turner valley browery far produces technically demanding beer in compliance with bavaria's famous 500 year old beer purity law the reinheitsgebot because the reinheitsgebot prohibits the use of chemical additives or additional enzymes typically used by north american breweries Founder and head brewer Jochen Farr focuses on how to create certain flavors rather than what to put into his beer. In 2020, his alcoholic German-style Hefeweizen was named the best in the world by the World Beer Awards, notably beating out his competitors from Germany. Suffice it to say, Farr knows a thing or two about how to make good beer. Why did you want to make a non-alcoholic beer? Quite frankly, I, like when I look at the non-alcoholic beers that are out there, at the time, that was way before Village started or um, One for the Road started or the other guys, right? The other craft beer. Like, it, there wasn't really good non alcoholic beer. The only one that I went, was going after, or what, what I really liked, was the Erdinger non alcoholic. Uh, that comes in the 500 liter, 500 ml bottle with a blue label on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my go-to non-alcoholic beer because especially around here, like Calgary, Turner Valley, everybody has to drive everywhere, right? And um, well, it's great to have a bunch of beers with your with your buddies, but then how do you get home, especially when you have your beers in Turner Valley and you live in Calgary? Um, so what I was what I set out to do was trying to come up with a non-alcoholic beer that actually tastes feels and drinks like a real beer and looks like a real beer right um i've been i've been working on that one now for over two years probably three on just trying to figure out how do i how do i make a beer that has less or about 0.5 percent but still is not is not um still has body to it and still has a beer character to it and still has a good head retention on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a really, that was a, that was a tricky task. So, so it sounds like you almost took it as a challenge. Of course. I mean, you know, when you, 
when you when you come up with or when you have a brewery that is really restrained in the ingredients that you can use and the way we brew, then a challenge is always welcome. And quite frankly, when I looked at the at the European market, the the non-alcoholic beers there have double-digit growth rates. And then it becomes a business decision, right? So and so going going with a non-alcoholic beer is really like I think there is a market that's just in the beginning in North America, but it's it's going to and it is grow, growing pretty rapidly. Right. And, and you've seen that your your non-alcoholic beer sales have grown and yeah, they've grown exponentially. Yeah, great. Especially over the last over the last month, for especially they have grown exponentially. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how do you make your non-alcoholic beer, and what makes it special? So, we make our beer um, in a way that the beer itself is fully fermented, but we use a special yeast that can only digest the simple sugars that we create in the in the wort. Um, so, what that means is we have a fully fermented beer where we, in the brew house, adjust the amount of fermentables that that yeast can take, which then leaves us with a product that, as I said, is fully fermented, but only has about 0.5% alcohol. Um, In order to do that, the procedure in the brew house is very involved. And what our biggest lesson was is that Anything you know about how to make the liquid that goes into a fermenter before you add the, the yeast, you completely forget about it and relearn everything. It's um, it's very complicated. It's very precise, and it's very it's a little bit on the riskier side. That's why the uh, the process control in the brew house has to be really top notch on it. Um, so as I said. Like our brew day is very, very involved. Then after that, the, the procedure is exactly the same as for, for an alcoholic beer. So we add the yeast to, to, the, um, to the liquid that we produce. We ferment it until it's no longer fermenting, like until the gravity doesn't drop anymore. And that uh, usually is about the play-doh of, um, of sugars that that yeast uses. And the difference of play-doh divided by half is roughly alcohol content. Like as a as a thumb of oh I see so one a, play-doh divided by half is about half a percent of alcohol correct um, there's other ways of like like really determining the alcohol con, con, um, concentration but that's roughly it's fairly close actually mm-hmm. um, and then we filter the beer for clarity and that's a big distinction because we only filter it for clarity we don't use RO filtration we don't take any alcohol out of it. We don't add anything to it. It goes straight into from the from the filtration into our, our bright tank. The carbonation gets uh, touched up, and then from there, that's where we have to at this point add stray a little bit from the purity law. And again, because of food regulations around here, um, because there's a fairly high amount of residual sugar in there, um, we have to add a preservative, which in our case would be sodium benzoate. Um, we would go the route of autoclaving or pasteurizing that beer because otherwise you don't, you risk that that the shelf stability is just not there, right? Um, But 
in order to do that, we'd have to be HACCP certified. HACCP is, is, is short for Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points, which is actually a system that NASA came up with and is now used in food production facilities and especially meat production facilities where the chance of contamination of a product is very high, mm. right? And unfortunately, that's the case with that kind of procedure. That's why we have to add that added insurance, if you will. Yes. In the absence of being HACCP certified. Right. Which is in the plants. Oh, okay. And then you would stop using the... the... Then we would stop using um, the benzoate and go into pasteurization. Okay. What flavor should people look for in your non-alcoholic beer? So the beer itself, it's... It's neither a lager nor, nor an ale. It's really its own special category. Um, I would say it's, it's a bit, it's a, it's a touch fruity. It's a bit lemony and like citrusy. So it's almost like a very, very tame pale ale, if you will. Okay. It's a golden color with a persistent head. Um, it's not too sweet, even though it has a high residual sugar amount in there. Um, and it's about 90 calories a can. So it's not, it's not a lot of calories per can either, which is nice, despite the higher sugar content. The beers we've discussed in this podcast are widely available at liquor stores throughout Alberta. But being non-alcoholic, they are increasingly available at grocery stores. It is this broader availability of non-alcoholic beer and the fact it can be consumed anytime, anywhere, that has caused this segment of the market to grow so robustly. As overall beer sales have been slowly decreasing due to the growth of spirits and hard seltzers, this growth in the popularity of non-alcoholic beer allows breweries to reclaim market share and revive demand for malt barley. And that is something we can all raise a glass to. Thank you, Don, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Grains West podcast. You can read the digital edition of this magazine at grainswest.com, where you'll also find regular online-only stories. Until next time.